following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, February 14th, 2021, on the basis of Mark 9, verses 2 through 9. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. If you could see the road that lay ahead of you in life, would you want to? If someone could tell you what the next year or five years or ten years of your life will hold, would you, would you want to hear what they have to say? I think there's, there's part of us that tells us the answer should be yes. I'm just not sure that's entirely a wise decision. As we get ready to start the season of Lent this coming week, all of a sudden, memories about what Lent was like last year have come flooding back to my mind. In fact, it was on a Wednesday night right before one of our midweek Lenten services and meals that it was announced that college and professional sports were going to, to stop all activities until further notice. It was that Friday, just two days later, when schools across the state shut down. And, and as you know, you were there. Within about a week's time, just about everything in our lives came to a very sudden and unexpected halt. So let me ask, if you had known, if you could have known, already at that point in time, everything that the year ahead was going to hold, would you have wanted to? At least for me, my vote would be no. I'm not sure how we would have been, able, been even able to process knowing everything that we now know. If somehow we could have seen every activity that would have been canceled, every plan that would have been changed, every day spent in school, not in a classroom, but sitting at home, every holiday, every birthday, every celebration that would be missed, Every tear that would be shed, every outburst of frustration, every feeling of anxiety or fear, every hospitalization, every single death. If we had been able to see all of that back then, I think we would have found it, well, disturbing to say the least. Disturbing is exactly the word that we've been using to describe Jesus during this season of the church year known as Epiphany. We've seen how everywhere he sets foot in our world and in our lives, Jesus makes waves, Jesus disrupts, and Jesus disturbs things. And that includes by doing exactly the thing that I just described. In fact, it was just six days prior to the events that we're going to be looking at today that Jesus had done that very thing. He had shown his disciples what the road ahead of them in their lives looked like. And it was a road that included rejection, it included shame, it included suffering, and it included death. And, and not just for Jesus, though that was certainly the case, but also for them. And surprise, surprise, sometimes Jesus' disciples don't know how to exactly process that information. Sometimes Jesus' disciples vote no to the road that Jesus describes. And Peter in particular was having a difficult time processing what Jesus was saying. Peter sort of gives voice to really every disciple of Jesus who would think that the road of following Jesus ought to include success instead of suffering and fame rather than shame and recognition rather than rejection. In fact, for any disciple of Jesus who would, who would sort of assume that or sort of think that way, this is probably the biggest way 
in which Jesus makes waves in a person's life. In other words, the, the biggest way that Jesus makes waves is not with one more big, fantastic miracle that, that thousands see. It's not with one final authoritative sermon that he delivers before a, a packed audience. No, as we're going to see today as we look at these verses, Jesus makes his biggest waves by pressing mute. After hearing that story, if you had to pick out the one detail that maybe made the biggest waves, maybe caused the biggest disruption in people's minds, if you had been there to see it, what, what would that detail have been? Would it, would it have been the sudden transformation in Jesus' appearance as suddenly all of that divinity that was inside of him came bursting forth in almost unbearably bright and brilliant light? Would it have been the two dead guys, Moses and Elijah, who suddenly appeared on the mountain speaking with Jesus? Would it have been that cloud of God's brilliant glory that suddenly enveloped them or the voice that came from that cloud? Certainly all of those things would, would have made waves had we been there to witness them. You might even say that each one of them was a, a way of God turning up the volume notch by notch by notch. Each one of them was a way of God the Father demonstrating what he said about Jesus, that this Jesus was no ordinary guy, that this Jesus was in fact his son. But each of those details on top of the mountain of transfiguration didn't just make waves. They made very familiar waves. Each detail was an echo, we might say, of something that God had done centuries earlier. From the mountain, to the cloud, to the voice, to the very select company of people who were chosen to witness it, even right down to the detail of six days that Mark provides in his account. All of it bears a striking resemblance to what God had done with his people on the top of Mount Sinai as he was taking them on a road, a road that led them from slavery to the promised land. Now that road, that road was paved with some pretty impressive things. It was paved with miracles like the Red Sea parting right in front of them so that they could cross on dry land. Meanwhile, Pharaoh's army gets destroyed and drowned in their wake. It was paved with miracles like water bursting forth from rocks in the desert and bread, manna falling down from the sky so that they had plenty of food to eat. Everything that happened on the Mount of Transfiguration was sort of an echo of what God had done in the wilderness on top of Mount Sinai. And do you know who caught it? Peter did. Peter thought to himself, I, I know this song. I can name this tune right away. And so that's at least in part why Peter said what he said. He said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters. So Peter liked the way that, that this road looked. This was the road that Peter wanted to be on, and so this is the road where Peter wanted to stay. And so all of that is why none of those details that I have mentioned so far would have been any of the details that, that were the most disturbing and made the most waves from this episode of the Mount, on the Mount of Transfiguration. In fact, the Gospel writer Mark wants to make sure that we don't miss the most surprising detail of all. He, he carefully uses a word that was both very rare and very dramatic, a word that refers to something that is both very sudden and very surprising. And Mark uses that word not in reference 
to the transformation of Jesus' appearance, not in reference to the cloud, not in reference to the voice or the two dead guys. Instead, here's what Mark says. He says, suddenly, that's the word, suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. So just as quickly as it had all happened, it was all over. Jesus had been turning up the volume notch by notch by notch, and then suddenly he presses mute. Jesus wanted them to see the truth about who he was, but he also wanted to, wanted to make it very clear that that road he had described, that was the road they were still going down. But why? Well, maybe this is perfectly obvious, but sometimes it's worth stating the obvious. Jesus was going to go down that road because that's exactly what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to suffer and die for us, to be our Savior, for our sins to be forgiven, for our guilt to be erased, and for our salvation to be secured. That was the road Jesus had to go down. But as I mentioned before, The road that Jesus described was not just one that he would travel, it was one that his disciples would travel too. So why? I mean, Jesus certainly could put us on a road that was very similar to the one that the children of Israel traveled from slavery to the promised land. He could put us on a road where every obstacle that is ever standing in our way just suddenly steps to the side and we can walk forward safely and confidently. He could put us on a road where every single enemy that we would ever face is not just defeated but humiliated in the process. He could put us on a road where every single need or lack or want that we would ever feel is suddenly taken away as blessings start bursting forth from the ground beneath our feet or falling from the sky up above. Jesus could do all of those things. But instead, so often in our lives too, he presses mute. His power and his presence in our lives are so often hidden. And so instead, we go down a road where very often it seems like the enemies are winning. It seems like the obstacles are unmovable. And those needs and those lacks and wants that we have, they don't just magically go away. Instead, they get bigger and bigger and bigger. And yet, pay very careful attention to where that leaves us on that road when Jesus in our lives too presses mute. It leaves us exactly where it left those three disciples. Alone with Jesus. With no one and nothing else but Jesus. Would you rather be anywhere else? I mean, it's easy enough for us to sit here at, really at any given point in our lives and say, all I need in my life is Jesus. As long as I have him, I have everything. But when the retirement account is fully funded and when the job is perfectly secure and when the kids are all behaving themselves the way that we want them to and and we've got our bad habits in check too and when everyone likes us and, and respects us and thinks very highly of us, I think you'd agree, it's very easy for those to be nothing more than words. All I need is Jesus. But when life is full of shame and sin, then all we have is Jesus' forgiveness. When life is full of rejection or ridicule, all we have is Jesus' acceptance. When life feels like one big failure, all we have is Jesus' success. 
When life is full of, of fear and doubt and worry, all we have is Jesus' protection. And when life is full of obstacles that simply will not move, all we have is Jesus' salvation. The very thing that makes this road so difficult and so painful at times is also its greatest blessing. So often, it leaves us absolutely alone with nothing but Jesus. So still today and still in our lives, Jesus often makes his biggest waves by pressing mute. He does his most disturbing work in our lives by pointing us down and and leading us down that road full of rejection and shame and ridicule and death. And yet thankfully, in this episode from God's word, Jesus was going to make some more waves and once again, he was going to do so by pressing mute. At the end of the account, here's what Mark says. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Don't tell anyone, Jesus says. Be mute about what you have seen until Jesus had risen from the dead. Now what's interesting is that in the very next verse, verse number 10, Mark tells us what happened on the way down the mountain. Peter, James, and John, as they were walking with Jesus, started discussing what exactly Jesus meant by rising from the dead. Seems a little bit odd to us, doesn't it? I mean, we know exactly what Jesus meant. Seems like these disciples should have known exactly what Jesus meant. And yet keep in mind what had just happened. Jesus had, had turned up the volume, not just by making some really loud waves, but by making some really familiar waves. These disciples had, had looked back and thought back to that familiar song that they knew, and that's what they wanted to see more of. In fact, that's, that's kind of the reality of what inevitably happens when Jesus turns up the volume in our lives. We are limited by our own frame of reference. We are limited by things that we know and have experienced and are familiar with. And that was all these disciples could think in terms of. But Jesus came to do something that was completely new, something completely different, something that the world had never seen before. Yes, that he would lead them down a road that led to suffering and rejection and death, but that on the other side of those things, there was life and victory and salvation. Jesus came to to give us a life that is outside of the very literal box that we are trapped in, in a world where death reigns. That there could possibly be a back door to that box, that casket, that grave, and that on the other side is eternal life and victory is just something that is so far outside of our expectations. It is so much bigger than the very small frame through which these disciples were viewing the world that they had a problem wondering and and realizing what Jesus could even possibly mean. That's the other blessing that comes when Jesus presses mute in our lives. You see, it might be easy for us to wish that Jesus would just constantly be turning up the volume, but when that is the case, we too are limited by what we know, by what we're familiar with, by what we've experienced. In order for Jesus to bless me in my life, it looks like this. In order for Jesus to deliver me from this situation, it looks like that. And sure, I think we'd all agree that when we turn on the radio, there's something very comforting about 
hearing a familiar song, one that we know, one that we can sing along with. And, and certainly Jesus does very often bless us in ways that, that maybe we're familiar with and we'd expect. But at the same time, Jesus came to teach our hearts to sing a brand new song. To teach us that through joy, I'm sorry, through suffering, he can bring us joy. That through rejection, he can bring us glory. That through defeat, he can bring us victory. And through death, he can bring us life. For us to ask Jesus to turn up the volume, inevitably we are, we are forced to only look back and think of things that we already know. But when Jesus presses mute, he forces us to look forward rather than behind. Now, all of that said, I still don't think I'd change my vote. The me that is standing here today would not want the me that was standing here a year ago to know everything that was going to happen in the year that lay ahead. But one thing that mountains are really good for is giving people perspective. And certainly the Mount of Transfiguration gives us some much-needed perspective. And so as much as I would not have wanted to know what was ahead of us a year ago, I am very thankful that as I stand here today to see the road that is now behind us. Why? Because I'm pretty confident that Jesus has been doing exactly what he's promised to do. Let me give you one quick example. So as we get started with the season of Lent, the theme of our worship on Sunday mornings is going to be what you see on the screen, a time to die. The big idea is basically this, that, that very often in our lives there are, are things that seem as though they are these bright, brilliant flowers. They are just full of life and full of beauty, but then eventually they wither, they dry up, they shrivel, they decay. And so very often the best way to deal with something, in fact the only way to deal with something, is to bury it to put it in the ground, but to do so with the very same promise that comes when we put a seed of a dead, dry plant into the ground. That from that seeming act of death, new life is going to grow. That's exactly what we do really all the time as Christians, but it's especially our focus during the season of Lent. We die to ourselves in repentance and we rise anew in faith in our Savior Jesus. Now, you, you take that image, you take those thoughts, and you put them in front of people a year ago when unemployment is virtually zero, when everyone is, is pretty much healthy, when the jobs and the incomes are secure, when the school classrooms are full of busy, noisy kids, and the gymnasiums and arenas are all full of, of loud, cheering fans, when we get to celebrate and get together as much as we want and fill up our calendars with as many activities as we possibly can, you put that message in front of people and I think it, I think it kind of falls flat. A time to die? It's a time to live, our former selves might have said. But now, hopefully Jesus has done exactly what he promised to do. That during the past year, there have been times when we have been left alone with nothing but Jesus. And that during the course of the past year, we have been forced once again to realize that what we are looking forward to is not something that is behind us, but something that is ahead. Not something that we're already familiar with, but something that is brand new. Our promised land is not 
our ability to go back to the way things once were and bring them into our future once again. Instead, our promised land is something that we have, we have never seen, something so different and outside the realm of the world's experience. In fact, at some point during the past year, you've maybe even wondered to yourself, where is God in all of this? And you would have been right in asking that question. Because as he so often does, Jesus presses mute. His presence and his power largely remain hidden. But by doing that very thing, by pressing mute, he makes his biggest waves. By pressing mute, he does for us something that is truly disturbing in exactly the way that we need it to be. Amen.